Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe witness to our God. For He is a rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe witness to our God. For He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. We oftentimes might speak about the glory of God, or we might sing songs that talk about the glory of God. But whenever we look in the Bible and we, we read about the glory of God, what we find there is actually kind of an experience that many times was a little bit scary for one reason or another to the people experiencing them. Let's take a look at a few passages from the Old and New Testaments to see, uh, to, to learn more and better appreciate the glory of God and also see how we are supposed to reflect that glory. Let's start in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 34, there's a very interesting story, and it comes in the midst of all of these events that are happening there as they have come out of the land of, of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and the Exodus has taken place. And then whenever they are coming into their own, so to speak, they, they get the law. They get the law that's handed down to them, and specifically this passage right here, is talking about when Moses was receiving the, the uh, two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments that we call them. But do you remember what happened to his face whenever he came down? Well, let's take a look at it. Exodus 34, verses 29 through 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Kind of a strange passage, but it really shows us about this glory of God. Which, by the way, the glory of God has revealed to the people already here in the book of Exodus and was guiding them out of the land of Egypt. Do you remember? You have that whole pillar of cloud and then the, the whole um, pillar of, of fire that was leading them through the Red Sea, but then also it was leading them into the wilderness and kind of guiding them along the way. And if you fast forward just a few more chapters from this passage right here, we find out whenever they set up the tabernacle, the glory filled the tabernacle so much that they couldn't even enter into it. So right here we kind of get a little bit of a glimpse of that glory. And we see that there's, there's something so great so magnificent, so wonderful about the glory of God that it actually kind of rubs off on Moses, so to speak. 
And whenever it rubs off on Moses, his face is radiant. It's shining. It's glowing. And it kind of scared people. Now, I don't know what Moses kind of thought of and if he was, uh, I mean, he, he kind of seems to be almost like unaware that this is even taking place. But I mean, if your face is glowing, I don't know how you could be completely unaware of that. But, you know, wh whatever the case, maybe it's because he's been in the presence of God and, you know, his face glowing was hardly anything compared to uh, the glory of God itself. Because that's just kind of what God does whenever he is sort of that close proximity to Moses. Some of his glory kind of rubs off on Moses and, and Moses kind of reflects that glory of God because the glory of God is so great and it's so wonderful. And I hope that we can appreciate this glory too, even without the flashing lights and all that we might, uh, or in this case, the glowing face and skin. But now this passage, it might seem a little strange at first, but yet it does show us about the power and the glory of God. But when we turn to the page of the New Testament, we get a, we see a similar type of passage to this, but a little bit different meaning, and it deals with Jesus. So let's take a look at one of these passages here in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, I want us to look at this, this whole story together. That's why I put it all on the screen for us to take a look at. We're going to begin in verse 28 and go on down to verse 36. This is oftentimes called the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, you're going to see this time, it's not just that Jesus's face is going to be glowing, or in this case, you know, Moses is also present. It's not just Moses' face is going to be glowing, but everything about him is going to be glowing. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid, and they entered the cloud, as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So now this passage, we're gonna see a lot of, of comparisons between what happened here and what happened whenever uh, Moses received the law uh, from Mount Sinai at the beginning. Now, a few statements that I want to draw your attention to because, you know, you might have to read this a few times to kind of catch some of these uh, these details that we see. Uh, we definitely see the main thing that needs to stand out about this passage is the glory of God. No matter what I might say, no matter what details or maybe rabbit trails I go off on throughout this, I want us to recognize the glory of God is at the heart of this. The, the glory of God is, is center. When you uh, want to see some things about this, you see in verse 29 that uh, the appearance of Jesus, in this case, is not just the glory of God himself, but also the glory of Jesus. So the appearance of his face is changing. It's bright like a flash of lightning. 
I mean, think about that. If you can describe something like a flash of lightning, it is extremely uh, bright in that instance. We also see in verse 30 that uh, these two men, Moses and Elijah, it says they appeared in glorious splendor. So this glory is being described right here. And something has also been a little different about Moses and Elijah. I mean, obviously they've They've both um, had their time on this earth and, you know, they were taken off of this earth and then, you know, now they're back again. So kind of some interesting things going on there, but we see that they are in this glorious uh, splendor as well. And so there's something about this shining that takes place uh, with all of them and among all of them. We also find in verse 32, it mentions again that they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. So all of this is, is really focused on the glory of God the glory of Jesus. That's why it comes down to, in verse 35, kind of the main thing from this passage is what the voice says. He says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So all of this is coming, showing us the identity of Jesus, showing us the power, the might, the glory of Jesus himself. <clears throat> that is what we really need um, to make sure that we take away from this story that we find right here. There's also several other hints about what Jesus is doing and how times are changing. Now, I don't think it's by accident that this story starts in verse 28. And it says about eight days after Jesus said this. Well, eight days, you know, that's kind of an odd uh, thing, isn't it? But yet it kind of makes sense because the seventh day would be the Sabbath day. But the eighth day would once again be at the start of the week. So now you would have the first day of the week. See, the first day of the week is very important to us who are Christians. Because the first day of the week, of course, is whenever we gather together. And we do that because it's whenever the Lord was raised up from the dead. This, I think, in verse 28, is hinting at the fact that Jesus is going to rise from the dead on the eighth day, so to speak, or the first day of the week, however you want to, uh, to count those things. But we see a new beginning. We see that a week ha has come and gone and ended, so to speak. And then now we see the eighth day kind of the first day again a new day is dawning and in Jesus Christ a new day most certainly has dawned because we live in a different time than the time that existed before Jesus now we also can kind of uh, notice another thing that Luke tells us another detail how does Jesus have this this experience and what was he doing in the midst of it now you might miss it but there's a small phrase in verse 29 that says as he was praying you know, that's the same type of way that we can come in contact with God and God's glory today, too. It, it's one of several ways, of course, but we can pray. Let's never forget the need to pray. Jesus didn't, didn't, and whenever he was praying, sometimes some pretty uh, amazing things happened like this. So, uh, this occasion right here, this Mount of Transfiguration, how they're all changing and all this stuff is, is going on, all this these shining lights and these voices, and I mean, it would have been something to see. It would have been, been terrifying, just like the people were afraid of Moses before, whenever his face was shining. Right here, now we see that even the disciples, uh, they were afraid um, uh, during this, this uh, event as well. Now, verse 30, uh, we see that there's two men who come with him, Moses and Elijah. Now, I believe there's a lot of different reasons as to why it's Moses and Elijah. Uh, you know, for starters, of course, we can see with Moses that he kind of would be a representative of the law, most certainly. I mean, we even call the, the law of God the law of Moses. That's because Moses was part of the, the um, method for which God used to deliver that to his people. So we have 
the law of Moses, and then we have Elijah, the prophets. We have the law and the prophets. But remember, even though the law and the prophets might be present here on this mountain, who needs to be listened to is verse 35. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Jesus is the one who has all this glory. Jesus is the one who needs to be getting our attention in this. But we see the people of Moses and Elijah. They're there. We see a lot of other parallels with Moses and Elijah. Of course, these two, they had kind of strange events uh, centered around each one of their deaths, uh, didn't they? You know, Elijah, he, he was kind of taken up in, um, uh, in, into heaven and all. Um, and it was, it was a little different than how people normally die. And also Moses, his death was kind of odd because he, he kind of died before um, his strength wore out. He was still full of strength. Um, yet, you know, both of these men, they served God uh, with their lives and, and what they did. And both of those men, not only did they have strange deaths to begin with, but we see that they're you know, present here on this mountain. But we also see both of those men were thought to have something to do with the final days. You know, the, the times of the Messiah, perhaps. You know, Elijah, uh, people were believing and expecting, okay, Elijah's going to return and then Jesus, or then the Messiah is going to return. Well, Jesus himself even said that Elijah uh, came um, in the form of John the Baptist. Now, we see with Moses that connected with Moses, there was going to be a prophet that was like Moses that we needed to listen to. Guess what? This is him. This is the prophet that's like Moses. It's not Moses that we need to be listening to. It is Jesus. Verse 35 that voice said, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. So all these things connected with Moses and Elijah. And of course, we, we also have already looked at that story with Moses and his face was shining before whenever he was um, physically here on this earth. And now we see he makes another appearance, this time with Jesus. The focus now is on this glory of Jesus, this glory of God. But with Moses, I want to talk about one more parallel that I think is, is an amazing one. And it can be easily um, hidden because we read this story often. Most of us read it in English, don't we? Verse 31, it tells us what they were talking about. It says, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. <clears throat> Whenever we read that, we can see, yes, they're talking with Jesus about the events that are going to be happening. His death his burial, his resurrection, all, all the thing that the heart of the gospel message that he was about to fulfill in Jerusalem. However, if you read this in Greek, it's pretty fascinating because it says they spoke about his exodus. It's the same word for exodus. Now, exodus is just means, you know, leaving or departing right there. So, you know, it makes sense. But also, of course, we as Christians, we kind of know that there's some special significance to the exodus, isn't there? I mean, even on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, they were taking of the Passover meal. And the Passover goes back to the time of the Exodus. And, you know, the crossing of the Red Sea, they, they took of that meal. And with Jesus himself, we see that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All these things are wrapped up in what is soon to be accomplished at this point. Yes, we're only um, kind of in the middle of, of uh, Luke's gospel. But what they are talking about is what Jesus has come to do. And now we know, of course, that he has already uh, done that. So we see all of these things connected with this passage. But I want to turn to one more, uh, one final passage uh, from the, the writings of, of Paul. And he speaks about this. And he doesn't necessarily reference the uh, Mount of Transfigurations. But one of the things that he does is he, he references... Um, 
Moses and his face shining. But notice how he speaks about it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 12 through the end of this chapter. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So now, this passage, Paul goes back into that story about Moses putting the veil over his face. And he says, and he, he kind of uh, makes it in a little bit of a symbolic way. And he says, you know, there's still this veil whenever people are just reading the, the law of Moses. Whenever they're just reading the Old Testament, there's this veil that covers their face because it's only taken away in Christ. Verse 14, that veil can only be removed in Christ whenever we are in Christ. Then, whenever we turn to the Lord, verse 16, the veil is taken away and we can see God in a whole different light, so to speak. We also see in verse 18 uh, where the, uh, the title of this lesson comes from about with unveiled faces. It's a wonderful thought to be able to, um, to approach God with an unveiled face. Keep in mind all the while the glory of God is great, it's mighty, it's wonderful, and we can approach God's glory, and we can reflect God's glory with an unveiled face only because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because we are called to be transformed into his image. Verse 18 is saying all these things. We're called to be transformed into his image. And it all comes back to what the Lord has done for us, what Jesus Christ has done for us. Remember that voice that was speaking uh, from, from the cloud about this is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. Well, this is the son that we are called to to reflect his image. We are called to be like Jesus, to look to Jesus uh, for guidance about how to be uh, human, what it means to be the right type of human, because Jesus was always that type of human. And we can approach God's glory, we can be in God's glory with an unveiled face because of what Christ has done for us. The passage goes on, though, and it speaks because, you know, we, we're not going to physically be there with Jesus. We're not going to see some, some moment like uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, so to speak. But we can still encounter the glory of God. In the next chapter, for 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, uh, notice how this, this uh, transition is happening. And now the focus is on... Not so much about being able to see Jesus physically and not being able to physically see the glory of God, but the glory of God is connected with this idea of the word of God, this gospel message about God. Let's read it together. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. This is where, we, we, where it all comes together. This, we see that final statement about how we are in these jars of clay. You know, we have these physical bodies right now, but yet we see the power of God. It, it all is from him. It's not from us. It's not from within us. But isn't it wonderful that we have this treasure that's in some jar of clay, so to speak? That's because of this message that God has sent out, this ministry that we are called to be a part of. We are not to distort the word of God, like verse 2 says, reminds us that that's not what we're supposed to be doing, not at all. We also see <clears throat> here that, uh, uh, that the verse 4 speaks about the light of the gospel, the light of the gospel message itself. It displays this glory of Christ. He is the image of God, and we are called to reflect this image. We are called to be transformed like him. What we preach, verse 5, it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ as Lord. We are the servants of God. We are the servants of Jesus. That is what we are called to do. We see once again about this light shining. This image is used in verse 6. We see a lot of that in connection with the glory of God. But uh, this light, it shines in our hearts. And we see God's glory is displayed in the face of Christ. That doesn't mean that we have to all have, you know, each of us have our own uh, moment like on that mountain of transfiguration. No, that event has already happened. We can read about this glory of Jesus Christ. We can read about and we can boldly proclaim this gospel message, this message that changes everything. Just like how all the, that event it took place on the eighth day or, you know, the first day of the week, so to speak. There is a new day that has dawned and it has come to us through Jesus Christ. He is the perfect image of God's glory. He has reflected God's image in, in, uh, um, in God's glory. And he wants us to do the same, to follow him. Can we do that? Let's do it together. Let's encourage one another to always reflect God's glory in this world. Do you know, little child, what is in you?